This morning we are continuing our sermon series called Light and Life as we look at the life and ministry of Jesus according to the Gospel of John. This morning we continue this series as we look at the story of Jesus healing a man by the pool of Bethesda. Scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John chapter 5 verses 1 through 9. After this there was a Jewish festival and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, in the north city wall, is a pool with the Aramaic name Bethsaida. It had five covered porches, and a crowd of people who were sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed sat there. A certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, knowing that he had already been there a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I don't have anyone who can put me in the water when it is stirred up. When I'm trying to get to it, someone else has gotten in ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Immediately the man was well, and he picked up his mat and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Crowds of people who were suffering from illnesses, diseases, and all sorts of ailments would gather by the pool of Bethesda. It is said to have had healing properties. This pool has a tradition of healing. In fact, on the wall of this ancient reservoir, archaeologists have discovered a painting of an angel. Legend has it that an angel from heaven would come down periodically from time to time and disturb the water, mix up the water. And then sick people would immerse themselves in this pool and they would be miraculously cured. Imagine all of these sick people surrounded by this pool. I guess you could say it was flooded with people. And if you don't like puns, I think you have a dry sense of humor. But there were all sorts of people around this pool just hoping to be cured. But there's only one problem. There is a limit on healings. Only the first one to reach the water is healed. One paralyzed man who has been in this situation for 38 years, suffering, has been waiting by the poolside again and again as the water is stirred. He crawls toward the edge of the pool, but he never makes it in time. He's never able to drag himself soon enough to be the first one in the water, and so he remains unhealed. It's hard to imagine watching others being healed, but not you. It's hard to imagine this man who's been suffering for a lifetime, gathered with a crowd of people who are also collectively suffering. It's as if they are in a large waiting room just sitting by this pool. And then when the water finally moves, they, they race toward the pool as one lucky person gets healed. But the rest of them continue their suffering. It's kind of a heartbreaking scene as we think of the injustice of this situation. It highlights the total unfairness of the world. And we see this happen today. Why are some people healed, but others are not? Why are some people cured from illnesses through medication and surgery and treatment while others continue 
to suffer and never receive the adequate care. Why do people suffer at all? Part of me hates the pool of Bethesda because like the world that we live in, it seems so cruelly unfair. I know that the legend says that an angel stirs up the waters, but it's only for the lucky ones. And, and nothing about that seems like God's justice or God's mercy. It kind of seems to be the opposite of holy. I firmly and totally believe that God does not play favorites. God doesn't say, okay, I'm going to heal Susie, but not Timmy because, you know, Susie is my favorite. No, God doesn't work that way. Nor does God bring suffering upon God's children. We live in a broken and nonsensical world, and not everything always happens for a reason. Sometimes we experience pain and suffering. However, God does promise to be with us in our suffering. And I think that's one of the hardest truths to cling to in the Christian faith. Just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean that we are immune to suffering. In his book, Why Making Sense of God's Will, the Reverend Adam Hamilton writes, The sweeping message of the Bible is not a promise that those who believe and do good will not suffer. Instead, the Bible is largely a book about people who refuse to let go of their faith in the face of suffering. It's in the middle of this scene of suffering that Jesus shows up. Jesus walks up to this paralyzed man and asks him, Do you want to get well? Now, usually people are begging Jesus to heal them. Think of the four friends who, who knocked a hole in a roof to lower their paralytic friend through it so that they could get him to Jesus. Think about blind Bartimaeus yelling out to Jesus in the middle of a crowd. Think of the hemorrhaging woman who reaches out to touch Jesus' robe. Think of the Roman centurion who sends word to Jesus to heal his child. Think of the huge crowds that gather around Jesus pressing in on him so that they might be healed. People go to extreme lengths to be healed by Jesus. But this paralyzed man sitting by the pool doesn't do any of this. He doesn't cry out to Jesus. He doesn't try to reach out and touch him. He has no friends to carry him a few feet to the pool, so he definitely doesn't have any friends who would carry him to Jesus. He has no one to advocate for him, no one to beg for him on his behalf. The paralyzed man does not seek out Jesus. Instead, Jesus is the one who seeks him out, asking him, Do you want to get well? The answer is obvious. Of course he wants to get well. Why else would he be sitting by this pool? But he explains the hopelessness of the situation. He tells him, Sir, I don't have anyone who can put me in the water when it's stirred up. When I'm trying to get to it, someone else has gotten in ahead of me. He tells Jesus that he wants to get well, but the system is broken. It's a scam. It's unfair. It doesn't matter who's been waiting the longest. It doesn't matter who needs the healing the most. It's all about whoever can bypass all the other needy people the quickest. Who can jump in line and get in the water first. 
And I think Jesus recognizes that this whole system is broken because he doesn't offer to help the man get into the pool. Instead, he totally bypasses the whole healthcare system of the pool of Bethesda. He breaks open and exposes this corrupt system by telling the man, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. And the man does just that. After 38 years of not being able to walk, the man is able to stand up, pick up his mat, and walk. John's Gospel sprinkles in one minor detail. He says, oh yeah, by the way, uh, this happened on the Sabbath. This is one of Jesus' favorite hobbies. He loves making church people mad by breaking their rules. He heals a man on the Sabbath, which is not allowed. He tells the man to pick up his mat and walk. That's not allowed. Now, the religious law started out with good intentions, but it turned in a way to uh, control people. And it was getting in the way of God's work in the world. The rules have become so sacred that they were elevated above the needs of actual people. It, and it's almost as if Jesus intentionally walked to the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath and picked somebody out to heal just then. It's almost as if Jesus was intentional about challenging these corrupt and broken systems. And this shows that this healing is about much more than just one man's healing. In this miraculous healing, we see a glimpse of the healing and wholeness of Jesus that is available to all. Jesus doesn't want to just heal us from our physical burdens, but He wants to heal our broken systems. He wants to heal us from our own sinfulness and selfishness. Jesus wants to show us an alternative way of life. He wants us to opt out of the systems that are designed to keep people down. He wants to find ways to bring justice and for us to participate in new systems of healing and renewal. The story of the Bethesda pool reminds us that there are social and economic systems that exist in our world today that are designed to keep people down. In May 2018, the United Nations released a report on the state of poverty in the U.S. And the report, it's kind of shocking, found that the United States leads the developed world in income and wealth inequality. And about 40 million people in the country currently live in poverty. Furthermore, U.S. citizens live shorter and sicker lives compared to, the, to those living in other rich democracies. Not to mention, uh, we have the broken systems of redlining, voter suppression, pay discrepancy, food insecurities, health care disparities, and so much more. Now, most of us aren't even aware of the broken systems that exist all around us. And it's not intentional. We aren't necessarily trying to ignore those systems or not participate in those systems. It's just that we are, are just so busy. We have so much going on. We're tired. We get off work. We run errands. We make dinner. We go to our kids' grandkids' ball games. Then when we finally do get home, we collapse in front of the TV until it's time to go to bed, and then we do it all over again. And that's just the weekday. The weekends are even worse. We are so busy, and as a result, we have grown indifferent to the needs of others. 
we as a society come up with excuses to make ourselves feel better about it. We say things like, you know, poor people want to be poor. Um, they're in this situation because of the choices that they have made. A lot of people in Jesus' day did this too. They blamed the paralyzed man for his paralysis. They said he's paralyzed because of a sin. Oftentimes, rather than blaming the social order and broken systems, we want to blame the ones who suffer. And over time, we have become numb to the call of Jesus. We have become desensitized to the call of the needy. We can't serve God and we can't serve the hurting because we just don't have time. And on top of that, it's easy for us to get overwhelmed and think, well, what can I do? How can I help? How can I even make a difference? If we want to give up before we even start. Like the paralyzed man sitting by the pool, it all seems so hopeless. I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. In his book, Fearless Dialogues, Gregory Ellison, Associate Professor of Pastoral Care and Counseling at Candler School of Theology, talks about this conversation that he had with his Aunt Dottie when he was eight years old. And at that young age, he felt like he really wasn't making an impact on the world and in his life. He felt like there was nothing that he could really do to make a difference in the world at eight years old. And so he goes to his Aunt Dottie and he says, how can I change the world? And Aunt Dottie in all her wisdom responded, baby, I don't know how to change the world, but I can change the three feet around me. When we get up and follow Jesus, sometimes that means that we get involved in people's lives. We connect with God and connect with God's people in the three feet around us. Maybe that means that we speak up when we see injustice or we reach out when we see a need or we challenge some of the unfairness of the world little by little by little. We strike up a conversation with a stranger at the gas pump or at the PTO meeting. We make friends with others, building relationships as we love God and love our neighbor. And as a church community, we are called to do even more together. We come together in mission and ministry, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. As the president of Belmont University, L. Gregory Jones says, holy friendships are those most likely to help us change. They challenge the sins we've come to love, affirm the gifts we're afraid to claim, dream dreams we otherwise wouldn't have dreamed. And as we deal with this reality of the suffering in our world, we can remember that we are not alone. We don't have to suffer by ourselves. As Richard Rohr says, there's only one suffering, and every bit of your suffering and my suffering is participating in the one suffering of God. That's why the cross is the archetype of everything. No pool or angel needed. We have the cross of Christ that stirs the waters of creation and invites us to live through the power of God's love. In the end, in the end, the cross will transform our broken systems and our broken lives. And through Christ's love, we will experience the final healing. But for now, we are made well. 
when we are in community. We are made well when we reach out to others. We are made well when we challenge oppressive systems. We are made well in the sign of the cross. So my friends, do you want to be made well?